0: what's up everybody welcome to the hot shot wake up getting everybody caught up on what's been going on in the wildfire world this week lots to talk about this week we'll start with operational stuff not a whole lot going on in the united states right now operationally there was kind of a big bust down in texas as we all should know oklahoma as well but they've had some uh, severe weather come through in the terms of tornadoes and some precipitation which has kind of put a damper on fire activity in that area california's had a few small brush and grass fires but again nothing really of note the largest incident i've seen this week was on mount kenya and it seems like it's a getting close to a hundred thousand acres maybe maybe a little bit more seems like it was kind of a uh, controlled burned or a control burn uh, project or operation And then the weather kind of turned on them. There's a few videos that I posted on the gram on the hotshot wake up of uh, the Mount Kenya fire uh, ripping across one of their control roads in some fairly severe fire activity that's going on over there. But after a couple days, again, their weather kind of broke for them and they received some higher RHs and some lower winds and there was some aerial footage showing that it had calmed quite a bit. Uh, other than that, over in the UK, uh, Great Britain, in North Wales, there was uh, a fire, which is unusual. There was an individual who's currently a hot shot out in California who hit me up after I posted this saying that he was actually from that area and had moved to California to fight fire, and it was not that usual to see these fires of this size. In that area, there was a mountain, he said, near where his hometown was that would burn every few years, as some uh, mountains we all know do seasonally. But thought it was a little strange to see this type of thing happening where it was. Heavy brush component and uh, that thicker grass that they have over there is what they were dealing with. But other than that, it's been kind of slow. I know crews are going through critical uh, Some are on, as we know. A lot of prescribed burning I'm seeing going on with crews, uh, which is which is always good to see. Uh, low, low shots I saw were burning. Looks like Smoky Bear shots are burning. And a couple more are out, uh, kind of getting broken in for the season and getting that prescribed burning done, which is very good work to do if you can get it. And kind of what we're going to talk about today deals with that. There's a couple articles out, And some interviews done with some high-level people uh, where they discuss this sort of thing and where the future of fire is going. And I did find it uh, quite interesting in these interviews where these folks went with all of this. Uh, Where we'll start is with Washington State. There was—I'll back up a second. There was an aerial firefighter seminar or convention for air operations, everything air operations in the fire world down in San Diego— This week. And the who's who of the fire aviation world was there showing off platforms, uh, talking about where the season's going to go. And then a couple guest speakers that spoke. One of them was the Washington State DNR commissioner. I thought this was very, very interesting. Her name is Hilary Franz, F R A N Z and she is the Washington State DNR commissioner. She spoke down there and was kind of touting what Washington State has done with their aerial resources since she took over, I believe, in 2016. And what I'll say is she has done a lot for what the Washington DNR now has. She pushed hard, she got a big budget, and she she made some moves. So in this interview, she was saying that one of the main goals when she first took over was that she wanted the state to be self-sufficient in wildfire operations, so you wouldn't have to rely on Oregon or California or even fed resources stationed in the state to help the the state of Washington suppress their wildfires. Honestly, I think that's that's a great goal. It's good to be self-sufficient in whatever you do, and it was a big task to undertake for uh, this commissioner Hillary Franz uh, she made it very very clear that she still wanted to cooperate with state resources and federal resources but didn't want to be left in the dark if you know she said if there's a pl5 that goes on for two or three months and we have fires but then the feds don't think it's a priority and California won't kick us any tankers and helicopters we should be able to take care of our own very admirable and I I like where she was going with that but she continued. She started making IA the priority in the state when she took over and has a stated goal to catch every fire or excuse me to catch 90 percent of fires under 10 acres and last year she said Washington state kept 94 percent of their fires under 10 acres. Now we all know about the past rules that the Forest Service had where it suppress, 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 and then you run into some problems, you know, a few generations down the line, maybe not even that long, and you have debris buildup in your forest floors and you now have a mess and then these fires become hotter and larger just because of the fuel loading that's been put into place. So I was curious that she decided to make her department adhere to this new priority which is to keep as many fires as you can under 10 acres it seems they're being very successful but here's where i'm going with this she has said that she's happy with the results which she would be because they are meeting her expectations that she set out for the department but she also said that fires in the state have been getting bigger and more intense since she's taken over but she's kind of doubling down and saying, we need to work harder to catch these fires before they pop bigger than 10 acres. And suppression, suppression, suppression seems to be the narrative that's being pushed there. Now, this will go into my next story that I talk about, but I don't want to dog on everything she's done. When she took over, they had 15 aircraft. That's it. 15 aircraft for the state, 40 permanent firefighters in the Washington State DNR when she took over. She's increased her aircraft to 35, more than doubled. She's more than doubled her aircraft, and she secured $500 million over four years for her department, specifically for wildfire suppression. So she was able to get a half a billion dollars into her program to help the state be self-sustaining for wildfire response. Now, to put that into perspective, $500 million was a single budgeted amount by the federal government for protecting sage-grouse habitat across the entire nation. And she got that much just for her department in Washington state. So she is getting stuff done. But it kind of seems like there's a contradiction here. Catch these fires, 90% of them under 10 acres. We've succeeded in that. Actually, we did 94% last year, she says. But we need more money and we need more firefighters and we need more funding because since I took over, fires are getting bigger and more intense. Now, she says that this is for all sorts of reasons. She brings up global warming. Hotter and drier. Lack of staff was a big one, which we all know is an issue. But you also have to at least add into the models of what's going on in your state with fire with maybe the new policy that was implemented. I don't know if this is the case, but it's definitely something to think about. Because if you look at the past, this is kind of what we've seen that produced the mega fires that we've been seeing the last two decades with this heavy fuel loading inside of our forests and on the forest floors, which then makes ladder fuels, climbs up. Now you got full runs, torching out, and loss of a lot of acreage of good timbered forests. Very interesting. I got more on the seminar or convention for the aerial resources in San Diego later in the podcast, but this was one of the major interviews that they did and I thought it was uh, worth noting that, yes, Hillary Franz, the DNR commissioner of Washington State, has done a great job with the department. She's raised a lot of money, she's more than doubled permanent employees and has more than doubled the aircraft available for the state, which is making them self-sustainable in their fire suppression. But the overall suppression policy and tactics seems to be kind of a step backwards in the sense of how we're doing this. And then next, kind of on the same topic of suppression and catching fires when they're small, fire use fires, managed fires, there was an article that came out this week from Moonshine Inc. They carry some prescribed fire articles occasionally, I think because they do have some connections with some people in the prescribed fire world in California, which we'll get to in a bit here. But the article was uh, the Cal- Calder Fire debrief. And basically it was this long, extensive write-up about the Calder fire in California last year, seven plus months ago, and what came out of that. So going through the article, they kind of catch you up if you don't know about the Calder Fire. It was the largest fire in the nation last year. topped out at 222,000 acres, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Responded to this as in resources and firefighters responded to this. It was on the El Dorado and was pushing up towards Lake Tahoe. And they evacuated the entire city of Lake Tahoe, 22,000 people, I believe, plus all of the summer visitors that were there camping and recreating. And they kind of go into this as in AAR. What came out of this that I thought was incredibly interesting was that they she was interviewing top forest service people and she also interviewed top cal fire people because this was a joint operation east west branch one run by cal fire one run by the feds and she gets into this but within the first couple paragraphs she's interviewing this top level forest service individual and they're quoted as saying quote allowing wildfire to burn in specific cases that would provide benefit to natural resources instead of initial attack has expired for our agency. So this person is basically saying that managed fires and watching a fire and letting it burn uh, and kind of tickling it a little bit to see what it does is over for the agency. Now, this was quite surprising, but then as I continued on, there was a Forest Service document that came out recently that kind of goes over what their new policy is going forward. And in a recent podcast, I went over the UN policy and kind of blueprint that they wanted for global wildfire management going forward. And this Forest Service report almost mirrors what this UN report says. Not only that we need to back out of operations and put more in it to the planning aspect of it all, But now they're going as far as saying, quote, allowing wildfire to burn in specific cases that would provide benefit to natural resources instead of initial attack has expired for our agency. So I was thinking to myself, "Okay, this is a big move. Only four or five years ago, we are screaming manage fire, manage fire, manage fire. And a lot of that came out of the Yarnell stuff. After Yarnell, people were saying, what are we trying to go direct for? What are we doing all this for? And all of the stuff that came out of that. But now the agency is pushing documents and policy and blueprints for heavier suppression in initial attack phases instead of provide benefit to natural resources by letting it burn. Now, they interviewed another person in this article. His name's Zeke Lunder. If you don't know who this guy is, he's kind of a heavy hitter in California when it comes to prescribed burning and kind of has a big following, very knowledgeable guy. I respect his work and what he's done, but there's a few things that he says in this article where it kind of raised an eyebrow. Uh, So if you don't know about Mr. Lunder, he's a geographer, has three decades of prescribed burning and wildfire experience. And they were asking him, "Well, where do we go from here? You're the premier prescribed burn, burning guy in California. Where do we go from here?" And he's quoted as saying, "quote We lost the war on wildfire. It's over. Fire won." It's like, okay, well, that's a dramatic statement to be making that it's over. Like he says, it's over. We, we lost wildfire. You can you can't do anything about it anymore. And I understand. He continues and goes on and says, "Well." pre-fire mitigation is the answer, thinning is the answer, prescribed burning is the answer. And I understand that this guy, that is his business. That's what this Zeke Lunder guy does, and he's good at it. But he's making very firm statements saying that we lost the war on wildfire, it's over, fire won. Don't fight it anymore, just thin. Okay, you can make that argument, right? You can make the argument that if all of our forests were beautiful and prepped, and we did all the project work that we could to get these, fi- these, these forests prepared for a natural start and see, see how it accepts that fire into that environment. But here's the kicker. So, further down in the article, they say they're talking about how the fire is progressing and then it finally makes its way to Grizzly Flats, which is a community up there in the Lake Tahoe area and that season in 2021 in the spring i believe it was march the county the county that this community's in put out a report saying that the grizzly flats area is 96% treated so it's the entire community is 96% project worked out cleaned out prepped ready and managed forest 96% And they paid $100 million to do that project work. And the fire ripped through Grizzly Flats at 96% treated. Yes, it was a large fire. It had a lot of steam behind it. And it is going to take a lot to stop that. But it just tore through this community that it was basically 100% prepped and ready for and treated the force around the community was already treated to be able to handle this type of thing. They spent over $100 million to do it, and it blew right through it in a day. So then I got to ask, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm being told in this article by top-notch forest service people and top-notch prescribed burning business people who are saying we've lost the war, no more managed fires The solution is pre-fire work and project work to prep all of these communities out, and that's our solution to this whole problem. Then three paragraphs down, I read that the Grizzly Flats community was almost 100% treated, prepped, ready, project worked out on a $100 million budget, and the fire blew right through it, okay? Worth thinking about, people. Then they asked Zeke Lunder... I believe they asked the Forest Service employee the same thing, but the quote was from Mr. Lunder. Uh, He was asked, okay, then, so what could the overhead staff of the fire, what could they have done differently that would have produced a different outcome than what happened? And he simply replied nothing. There was nothing you could have done different. Okay, I'm not hating on these individuals. I am raising an eyebrow by the way this article was put together. Because every other paragraph kind of contradicts itself if you know the fire world, if you know what these people are actually suggesting, talking about, and policy that's been put together, and then you read that document, it's like, okay, well, you, I see what you're saying and I'm not hating on it, but you're contradicting yourself two sentences later. It just drives me nuts, people. It drives me nuts when people do this. So then the article goes on and they, they, they continue and just say, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe just people are living in areas where they shouldn't live. And that's the big problem here. We, we need to have people not live in these areas, these steep box canyon communities with these million dollar homes with inflation, 28 million dollar homes that are susceptible to the, the fire environment in which we work. I'm not going to tell anybody where they can and cannot live. If you buy a piece of land, hell, build on it. But you just have to be willing to accept the consequences. You can't come after your government and say, you guys failed to, to support me and protect me, and I was in a box canyon at the, you know, it's like, what? come on, have some personal responsibility for where you decided to settle. It's as simple as that. And closing in the article, they just kind of hit on the public's perception of this fire, saying that the agencies received a lot of complaints about seeing firefighters in the community and why the hell aren't they up on the hill doing stuff. Uh, Basically, the public doesn't fully understand what our shifts are. We do go into town to get gas. We do go into town to get food, especially if they're asking us to be self-sufficient or it's a late night, so the caterer's closed, so you got to go grab something, Maybe they put you up in a hotel, and the and the public's mad about that kind of stuff. Of course, they're going to be until people really buckle down, start listening to this podcast, and they'll start understanding how everything works in this industry. We can clear some things up finally. The last thing that the author talked about was absolutely ridiculous in my mind. When after this happened, the same publication put out an article. It was a basically a gossip article by an unnamed anonymous source that was saying that there was infighting between Cal Fire and the Forest Service at the upper levels when they were trying to manage this thing in different branches and what our tactics are going to be, so on and so forth. And it was just kind of this this tabloidy article, drama show saying that these agencies couldn't get along and, oh my gosh, what are we going to do if they can't even figure out How they're gonna break up the map over a cup of coffee in the morning? Anyway, they went on and talked to the Forest Service and Cal Fire to comment on this anonymous source. Source, and both of them were just like, "Why are you asking me this? No, we're doing fine. This is called unified command. We do it all the time. Of course, we're not going to agree 100 of the time, but get out of here with these tabloid type questions." Interesting article to read. Kind of a recap on the first half of the article and just what the Calder fire was, but very revealing that the Forest Service has is quoted. They're quoted as saying, allowing wildfire to burn in specific cases that provide benefit to natural resources instead of initial attack has expired for our agency. Fascinating stuff if, if you understand what these people are saying um worth checking out but i got you all caught up as best as i could on that and it will be very interesting to see how the next large california fire is managed and how they go about their operations uh with this big magnifying glass now that's just staring down their back Next up, good news for Idaho firefighters. State of Idaho firefighters just received hazard pay for the first time. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, some state agencies do not pay their people hazard pay when they're out on a wildfire. They just get their base pay and then overtime and as a state employee, they did not have any hazard pay built in. So the Idaho House got together and decided they would put together some legislation saying we want to give our people hazard pay. They did say that based their decision was based on the massive retention issues that they had been having and the competition, in quotes, competition that they're having within the community with their firefighters. Plain and simple, In-N-Out Burger pays more. It's just facts, folks. I'm, You know, I'm sorry to say it. Love the job. I think it's getting better. If this Tim Hart thing passes, it's going to get a lot better. But they're saying this. The retention has been hell the last two years, and they needed to do something about it. So the governor finally passed this thing. Idaho state firefighters will get a 25% hazard pay tagged on to any hour worked on a wildfire. And good for them. So I dug a little bit deeper and just wanted to see how Idaho pays their people and found that if you are a, you know, FFT2 starting out in Idaho as a state firefighter, the starting wage is $12.55 an hour for the Idaho Department of Lands. As we know, prices of everything have skyrocketed in the last year, year and a half, whatever it's been. And... 1255 is not going to get you very far but you did get a 25 percent hazard pay increase which in reality is a big jump but it's not a big jump off of 1255 i'm sure that the the engine captains and the crew bosses uh all their leads and their state foresters i'm sure are making a, a, a quite a bit more than that but you know i shrug my shoulders and say what do you expect that your retention's bad, that you're paying your people $12.55 to come through the door. What do you expect? It's, it's, It's not a very good wage, to be honest with you. But things are finally happening and moving forward, and we're getting pay increases because people are finally speaking up and saying, hey, over the last two years, there's been a mass exodus in our industry. As most people know, I believe the mandates had a lot to do with it. But the working conditions and pay and not retirement and housing accessibility also had a lot to do with it. There's a lot going on there. But so much has happened over the last two years that people are finally speaking up and saying, hey, you to the politicians, hey, you need to do something or you're not going to have any, you literally won't have any firefighters left. So congrats to Idaho State Firefighters. You got that hazard pay and congrats to the Idaho House And Governor, I say you need to do more. I understand you got budgets that you got to work for uh, and work with. But it is good to see that this did get passed and some folks are going to get paid some more. So the accounting came out for the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management on what the costs for wildfire suppression were last year. Forest Service alone, it was like $3.4 billion that was spent on fighting wildfire. But the eye-opening figure was California, the state of California itself, amounted for $1 billion of that amount. So More than one quarter of the entire Forest Service budget for wildfire costs just were dumped into the state of California. That's a ridiculous amount of money. I understand why they're doing it. They have these big, huge fires that are being complexed and bring in thousands of firefighters, that's going to cost you a lot of money. They also said in the report that contractors in California were a massive expense for the Forest Service and the state itself this year. The feds did pick up some of the bill of just California state itself once the emergency, uh, the the state of emergency is implemented when the wildfires happen. But again, they're saying retention issues, so the state had to bring on contractors, and it wasn't in their budget that the contractors were paying more than they had budgeted for and that's why it was sky high but at least the journalist had the gumption to say hey can i get an itemized breakdown of where all of that money went can i see which crews got how much and how, just maybe just tell me how much was allocated to aviation tell me how much was allocated to catering and they flat out said we don't have an uh an itemized but report, we don't have an itemized financial statement to give you. So this journalist doing their job pressed harder and said, you can't tell me how much you spent on aviation last year. And oh, ho-hum, no, we can't do that, which I would love to see the breakdown. But they did say it was because of a backlog of financing and fire straddled the, you know, the financial year so some fires were split so half the paperwork was in and half the paperwork wasn't in i understand this cuz i've done tons of fire bills and all of these things and hey sometimes the fiscal year does close and you do have to split a fire roll in half and and bill for one half of the year and bill for the other half of the year like it's just kind of set up that way but you should be able to have some sort of quick you know excel spreadsheet that says aviation approximately we spent 500 million dollars or something we spent 350 million dollars on this but they don't hopefully sometimes it'll come out and uh we'll be able to see what the itemized financial statements are because i am curious where the money goes you know you got four billion dollars going out It's, it's insane um i understand it costs a lot people cost a lot work costs a lot labor costs a lot but it's a lot of money and we should be accountable for where it's going and I would, uh, I would like to see that. And if I do get to see that, that's something I would definitely share with everybody here. So I put out an article this week talking about the preseason issues that firefighters have when it comes to dealing with your personal life right before the season starts. The response was great, overwhelming, biggest article and most read article since I started doing this. Uh, I'm sure at this point in time today, it is over 1,700 reads, maybe approaching 2,000 reads at this point in time. And it's obvious that this was an issue. You can go check out the article on my Substack. I took a poll that asked if you knew any firefighters or hotshots who detonated their personal lives before the season started. And 86% of the 500 firefighters plus, it was like 5 560 or something of you folks who actually responded to this poll, 86% of you said you definitely knew someone or multiple people that were this way. I suggest you go check out the article. I do provide some ways to mitigate this and some articles in there to kind of see what the symptoms are. But the rough and tough breakdown is... We got a lot going on in our heads when it comes to the season starting. We're training hard. We're starting to remember what the season is going to be like, and that can be stressful and intimidating until you're actually in it. As we all know, once you're in it, you're feeling kind of good until late August, early September, and then you know, you're know you a little bit worn down. But get that first roll out of the way, and, and you're feeling pretty dang good going forward. But leading up to that, people struggle uh, going into that. And they what the whole point, of the article is they fail or we fail to understand that the surrounding issues with our mental states going back to work and overtraining and being stressed out maybe drinking too much maybe drinking too much and then stopping all of the sudden are causing symptoms and those are carrying over into our home life and then ultimately we blame our home life for these things, not knowing it's what we have done. And then you just slap that big red button that drops the nuke on top of your personal life and then you start your season rolling into critical. I was clear that I'm not telling people how to run their personal lives, but it should, everybody should be aware of the surrounding circumstances in which these things take place. Obviously, there's lots of interest in this because the article blew up on the Substack. I highly suggest everybody subscribe. I'm blasting out fire-related articles, recipes, workouts throughout the whole season. I'm going to try to keep this podcast weekly going through the season. I'm going to do my damnedest to make that happen. And it's definitely worth checking out, and it's how you support what's going on here. If you enjoy what's happening on the Instagram page or with the podcasts, um, it would mean a lot. And we already have a small community of folks who are doing that, and we've made some donations to some hotshots shots. Some superintendents, some Cal Fire guys that are struggling with uh, kidney problems, cancer, and all those other things, and we're just we're just shoveling over what we can from these donations and subscriptions to help them out. So a quick little note uh, out of the San Diego aerial show that I was talking about earlier. One of the main booths that I thought was interesting, I found this on Wildfire Today. There was a drone platform company that makes specifically aerial ignition units. And currently they make a unit that can carry 450 spheres, uh, have a flight time of two hours and has a payload of 100 pounds for aerial ignitions. For prescribed burning and maybe even some firing operations in inside of a wildfire operation. Shockingly, they said they already had a hundred in operation. They don't make the drones themselves; they buy a platform and attach their unit to it. Um, they recently got a six hundred and fifty thousand dollar U.S. grant to increase the capacity of this thing to thirteen hundred spheres, a flight time of ten hours, uh, and possibly carrying up to. 800 to a thousand pounds and it's got all the gadgets on it it's got thermal cameras weather units without the drone itself just for the sphere psd unit uh they're charging seventy four thousand dollars for this unit like i said they already have a hundred in operation um let's do the math real quick tag two zeros on there 7.4 million so they have 7.4 million dollars in sales going out the door for these units already and they haven't been in operation that long now the ceo of the company is saying that their big push behind this was just to take the pilots out of the danger zone for these operations there have been two helicopter crashes in firing operations uh, one in mississippi in 2015 one in texas in 2019 and they feel as though their units will take the risk from the pilot's and uh, just overall decrease the risk of any operation where this is being used. And lastly, kind of out of our realm, but still in our realm, the Army is doing a nine-month study to see if they need to change any of their baseline fitness requirements and weight height requirements they say it is due to the body mass index being outdated and they're exploring some other things to see how they should be weighing and measuring their people Uh, currently it's just with the tape stick and their current regulations are uh, a male in the military if he's six foot he can't be over 195 pounds or else like action is taken. Hey, you need to lose weight. Hey, let's see what we can do with this. And with a female on the scale, it's a five foot female at a, at 125 pounds. I'm 6'3", 190 pounds. So I don't know what the rule is for 6'3", but it's probably boosted up to like 210, 215. 6'3", if I was 215, I would be a, a, a gorilla. But I understand that uh, they need to have some sort of limit or measurement of how they're going to go forward with this buried in the bottom of the article they talk about how maybe we need to change our fitness standards as well but it wasn't covered as much as this weight height standard and it kind of rang a bell in my brain i wonder if they're going to try to push anything like this in the wildfire world now i've talked to a lot of high level wildfire guys and gals who like the current fitness requirements uh, and standards that we have in our industry, and I do too. I think you, you need to have these things to ensure safety, uh, cohesion, and be able to operate at the levels that we do. But there has been chatter over the last, you know, five years, six years. You know, maybe we need to relook at this. What do we need to change the, the pack test? Do we need to change? hotshot standards to something else? Do we need to be more inclusive with our fitness standards so we can be more inclusive in our industry? All I'm saying is a slippery slope people to start dumbing down our fitness standards to simply diversify the workforce. They were there for a reason. They were built out of a tragedy fire of what we are doing here currently. It's not like it was put together all willy-nilly. I understand, yes, we could tweak a couple things. Maybe we need to tweak a couple things, but they don't need to be lowered. Maybe we change them for a more, you know, a better fit of the actual work that we do, but they shouldn't be lowered in my opinion, and I think, you know, you start with the military and then you move to other federal agencies, and it's just kind of a slippery slope overall. And that just leads me to say... Try to get six-pack jacked, people. Why aren't you trying to get six-pack jacked? Call your homie. See if they're doing okay. I know the season's starting soon. We'll do a podcast midweek next week. It'll just be for the paid subscribers because it's not the weekly wildfire update, but it'll just be a special podcast on my experiences in critical training and kind of the fun times, the nightmare times, and just the times I look back and shake my head and think, what the hell were we doing when I was younger um, in my career so call your homies see if they're doing okay stretch hydrate quality calories count remember everybody's human that's around you even though they may not seem they are have a little bit of patience if you can and get it done